so I pray that you all would join with me um, in just hearing and sharing of the word. I hope that this will bring some encouragement to you as much as what the Lord has done through us has brought encouragement to me as well. And so when you hear those three words, God is faithful, depending on where you are in life, that determines how you feel when you hear those words. For some people, they can instantly identify with this as they know that their life has actually been marked by the providential and sovereign hand of God. They can look back without question and say that the steps of their life have indeed been ordered by God. Every good step, every bad step, every mountain, every valley, every misstep, it has all been orchestrated by God. And therefore, they have this perspective based on their life experience. But then those are, there are many others who may feel like God is faithful? How? Where? Show me his faithfulness. There are some people right here right now who are right in the thick of it. You're right in the thick of life. And let's be honest. Stuff happens. Life has a way of life. And it just happens to us all. And it throws us for a loop. And sometimes, even in those moments, it is difficult for us to see the faithfulness of God, and it derails us. And we're not sure that God is as faithful as he has told us that he is in his word. Now, we often refer back to all the things that God has done for us to remind us of his faithfulness, and that can be good, but it is also very helpful when we can go back into the word of God and see that even Jesus himself defaulted to the will of the Father to get through what he knew was coming. So I want you to go with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 26. We have pew Bibles, y'all. We have pew Bibles. Wow. Can't believe it. Open your pew Bible, if there's one in front of you, and go, if you will, to Matthew 26. I'm going to start in verse 36. Matthew 26 and 36. They say flipping pages is Baptist air condition. <laughs> and it reads, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, 
If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, even before we get into the word, that we know that you indeed are faithful. God, we thank you that you orchestrate not according to chance, not according to accident, but that you have a sovereign will that is ahead of us that was orchestrated before time began. Lord, it gets difficult at times to understand what you are doing, but if we know that you are good, then whatever you do has to be good as well. Help us see this. Help us know you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I know you might think, well, this is an interesting place to go in terms of understanding the faithfulness of God. But there is actually so much rich truth here that we need to learn from this text. First of all, let's set the tone here of what's actually happened. Jesus is quite literally caught in between a rock and a hard place. He has just spent the last time he had together with his faithful disciples and he had charged them. And he knows that on the other side, there is a cross that awaits him. Now all of us are probably somewhat familiar with this text. And we've all probably felt like we have had a moment in our lives where we just had no idea where we were headed in life and what was going to happen. And I guarantee you, if you're like me, your thought was probably, if I just knew how this would turn out, I would feel just a little bit better about it. If I just knew what the end result would be, I may not like it, but I would feel just a little bit better. I could prepare myself a little bit better. If I knew how this diagnosis was going to turn out, if I knew how these finances were going to work out, I would feel just a little bit better about it. But I want you to see something interesting here. See, that here isn't the problem for Jesus, is it? No. In fact, Jesus knows full well what the end result will be for him, and yet, it has still caused him great anxiety because he has now been forced to come to grips with this. I'm going to die. He is having to come to grips with this reality that his death is imminent. Many of us in this room have maybe had a passing thought regarding a situation and thought, I could die or that could kill me, but very few of us have had that moment when you concretely feel and know there's no other option here. I'm going to die. And that's what Jesus is right here in this text. Here we don't see tension of his deity and humanity, but rather we see this beautiful harmony 
that we see that the deity of who he is as God and the humanity of who he is as Jesus is perfectly woven together. And it's teaching us something about what suffering is. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. See, on the one hand, we have Jesus, who is truly man and who shows up here. But I, don't, I want you to think about what is actually happening here. The son is praying to his father, and in his plea, he is wrestling with facing this cup. And he keeps talking about this cup. And we have all quoted this, but have we really dug deeply about what that cup actually is that he's referring to? And to whom that cup belongs? See, grasping this is not a matter of just having good theology. But it is a matter of your faith coming alive and becoming real before you. It is a matter of us understanding who the God of the Bible actually is and rejecting any other notion that is out there about him. So what cup was Jesus having to drink from here? It was the Father's cup. <laughs> It was the Father's cup to whom he was praying to. He was going to have to drink from his cup. Look at what the scripture tells us here. In Romans 5 and 9 it says, Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. I'm breaking some news to some of you, but Jesus did not save us from the wrath of Satan. He saved us from the wrath of God. And so when Jesus is talking about this cup, this cup that he asked the Father to let pass by him, he wasn't referring to what Satan had planned. He wasn't referring to Satan's wrath. This was God's cup, and this was God's wrath. And that's what scripture confirms here for us. Because we who believe we have been declared righteous by God, we have also been saved by Jesus from the very wrath of God. Jesus was drinking of the cup that was prepared for him. And his whole life's purpose was that he was going to absorb the wrath of God. This is why when the disciples are arguing, where are we going to be seated in the kingdom? Am I going to be closest to you or is it going to be John? Because I know you feel a type of way about John. And he says, look, unless you can drink from the cup that I drink, nobody has a place in the kingdom. See, when he's referring to this, he is referring to God's wrath being poured out. That's why in Romans 1, it, Paul describes it as God's wrath literally being poured out on the unrighteous. What is that cup? That cup is God's wrath. Those of us who are saved are saved because God's wrath was not poured out on us, but it was poured out on his son. He is truly man, but he is also truly God. 
And that means that Jesus has an advantage that we don't have. What is that? Jesus knew what was ahead of him. Yet he still wrestled with the anxiety of having to face it. Not only that, but he knew what was ahead of him, and yet he trusted God anyway. How much more should we trust God and we don't know what's ahead of us? How much more should we depend and lean on God when we don't know the end result of our lives? If Jesus, who knew what was going to happen, had to pray to the Father, how much more do we need to be praying to the Father? Because I don't know what's going to happen in the next second. How much more should we trust God because we can't see how he's going to work all these things out? Now, how can Jesus still say to the Father, your will be done? when he knew what that will to be done was. Because he knew that God's goodness is not predicated on what he is doing, but that God is good regardless. Think about it like this. When the three Hebrew boys were thrown into the furnace, they didn't say, we decree and declare the Lord is going to bring us out. They didn't say that. They didn't say, we know that God is going to deliver us. Nope, they didn't. They said, we don't know if he will. But let it be known to you in case we go in this furnace and burn up. Even if he doesn't, he could. That is our permanent position with God. I don't know what he's going to do, but I know he's able. I know that God is well capable and able to do whatever he wants to do. And if that's not what I want him to do, he's still good anyway. See, there it is. They knew that regardless of the outcome, God was more than able. That he was more than capable and that he was faithful. Now, how can they find God to be faithful when facing a furnace? How can Jesus find the Father faithful when coming up to a cross? Because if God is good, then whatever he wills to happen has to be good as well. Charles Stanley said it like this. He said, whatever pushes you closer to God is good. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how bad it hurt. It doesn't matter how bad it bothered you. It didn't matter how far you felt like you got set back. If at the end result, you were closer to God because of it, it's good. It's good. Now, it may not feel good, but the promise from God and Scripture is that he is working all these various things together for our good and for his glory. I was having a conversation this past week with one of my coworkers about some things that were going on and she was asking me, she said, "Um, are you worried? Because you don't seem like you are. And I said, well, if you know me, you know I said, God is sovereign. And she was like, you just saying that or do you really mean it? 
She said, because you realize there's going to come a day where you're going to have to say that and you're not going to want to say that. And I told her, I said, well, that day had already come. I said, I remember sitting on the side of my bed after receiving a phone call from my sister at 3 o'clock in the morning. And my grandmother had just coded in the hospital. And I remember sitting there, taking that deep breath. And I never more reluctantly prayed this. Lord, your will be done. I said those were the hardest words I've ever had to say. Because I became aware that what God's will was was probably not my will. I knew it wasn't what I wanted. But if I couldn't trust God in that, what can I trust him with? All of God's actions, regardless of how they feel, they draw us nearer to himself. Now, if we don't have a right view of God, then we won't understand that with clarity. We won't understand why Big Mama died. We won't understand why we had that car accident in that car that we love. We won't understand why a church building gets destroyed by a tornado. And then you look around and you say, this is the Lord's doing. And it is simply marvelous in my eyes. Look at us now. Now, anyone who has heard me tell them this, I've told you it was that I realized before we ever thought we were getting a building, that I realized that the previous building that we had worshipped in had become an idol in my own heart. And as I was reading this book, having no idea what the next step would be for us as a church, I read a book called Humble by Dave Matthews. And it revealed to me that I had been in that church building harboring an idol. Because as long as that church went right, as long as that building was good, I was good. And I realized if God had done it for no other purpose, he had freed me from an idol when a tornado hit our building. If God had not ever given us another building, I was grateful that he had broken an idol, a stronghold in my life. And I realized that he was good. I was good with him. Jesus in the garden says, it is your will, not mine. Because not only did he know what it was for, but he also knew that his father loved him and that through his suffering, we would be brought peace. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously, graciously give us all things? Okay, so look. Let's look at this. If God did not spare his own son to save us, then what does that tell us about how much he loves us? He poured out his wrath on his son to save sinners who were at war with him. 
God was faithful, meaning that in eternity past, he already had a plan of salvation in place for us and our lives. And in that, he was willing to kill his own son. If God was willing to bruise his own son in order to save many, then not only will we go through things down here, but he has also prepared a place for us in eternity. That's the beautiful part. What did Jesus say? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. It's the beautiful part. The promise is not that we will see the full pouring out of God's faithfulness here on earth, but there is coming a day when we will see him as he is. And the Bible says we will be like him and he will wipe away the tears from our eyes. So if I have to go through hell down here so I don't go to hell, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to do it. To have forever and eternity with Jesus. Knowing that that first moment in eternity with him undoes a lifetime of suffering and pain and sin and sickness and loss and grief. So I don't, so I don't believe in the prosperity of the gospel. I ain't looking for heaven right now. I want heaven when God prepares it for me. And I want to be with him. This is why he says that the sufferings that we endure at this present time, they are not worthy to be compared to the glory that should be revealed. God is faithful because he has given us a living hope. We were dead in our sins, y'all. When we were living up our lives, when we were having the best time, we were actually dying. And we had no hope. We felt like we had a hope. We had no hope. But he has given us a living hope. And the Bible tells us this, that that hope will not be put to shame. If Christ be raised, then so will we. And we will spend an eternity with him. Look, I don't have anything lofted at all for you. If you're going through something to say that God's going to heal it, he's going to fix it, he's going to turn it, he's going to change it. I don't know what God is going to do. But if in that thing, you sought God like Paul sought God. I've got this thorn in my flesh, God, and my life will be a whole lot easier if you would just take it away. What does he respond? But my grace. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is more than what you need. I don't know if God's going to change it, turn it, fix it, heal it. But I do know that his grace is sufficient for you and that God is faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, what we get and receive and hear and understand and know from the word of God is so much better than some lofty promise. What we know to be true from scripture, God, 
gives us all that we need, which is a blessed and eternal and everlasting hope. God, some of us feel like we are in the midst of the furnace, and we don't know. We don't know if we're going to make it out. We don't know what the end result is going to be. But if you're good, then we're good. If you're faithful, God, then we don't have anything to worry about. God, for every one of us in here who may be enduring something that feels like it's too much for us to bear, God, let this sanctify us and grow us and let us bear our burdens on you. God, there are many people who say that you won't put more on us than we can bear. That's not true. You do put more on us than we can bear so that you can bear for us. God, the load is hard to bear. God, for the people in the room who waking up feels taxing. Facing another day is exhausting. God, I can't promise that it's going to get better. But I can promise that if they allow you to meet them in that place, there is grace for them there. God, I just pray that you will meet them with that grace. Lord, if there is anybody in this room who can't fathom God being faithful, who has no idea what that means, who can't reason that, Lord, I pray that this is the day that you will open up blinded eyes, that you will allow deaf ears to hear the truth of the saving message of the gospel, that we were born, God, with a sin debt that we could not pay. The only way that that debt will be paid is through your son. God, if there is anybody in this room who is living to themselves and it feels like they have freedom and hope, let them know that the only hope they can have is in you. The only freedom they can have is freedom from sin. So Lord, we just pray that you would open their eyes, open their hearts, and if there's anybody who wants to have a conversation about their salvation, let them know that we are here and available and that this will be the day that you reveal yourself to them, Lord. This is our prayer, that you would do a work in them, that you do a work in us, and that in our life we will see the faithfulness of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Thank you.